The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome, everybody, to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Higher highs, why stocks aren't done going up this year, at least according to one well-known market watcher. The committee is debating how long this rally might last. We're, of course, also trading Disney's Iger Encore with the committee. Joining me for the hour today, Kerry Firestone, Josh Brown with me right here on set, Joe Terranova and Farmer Jim Labenthal. Let's check the markets. It's just past 12 noon in the east. We're red across the board. Uh, NASDAQ's down a little more than 1%. Dow's off 154. 380 is the yield on the 10-year note. So we're watching all of that, uh, and we're going to get to all of that in a moment. But, of course, the story of the day is Disney. Uh, We want to attack that first because we do have a shareholder here. We have somebody who just sold it recently as well. But, Jim Labenthal, you're in the stock. Your reaction to this stunner yeah, I woke uh, that we up, got today? Yeah, I woke up this morning and the stock was up 9%, Scott, in the pre-market. I was like, what the heck is going on with Disney? Did somebody, <laughs> like, offer to take it over? And then, okay, you know, Bob Chapek's out, uh, Mr. Iger is in. Um, look, I, what I'm trying to say here is that that personnel change doesn't, to me, strike me as worthy of a, a 9% increase. We've given some of that back, 65 Maybe that's more accurate. Maybe that's what we should expect. But obviously, I'm not in the stock. Most people are not in the stock for 65 We're in it for a lot more than that. The bottom line is the company is executing well. I think where Mr. Chapek got into trouble, honestly, is with some of the corporate activism that he was doing, the company was doing. Now, I know this is a little bit sensitive what I'm about to say, but this is what I believe you can take it or leave it. I think the spat that he got into with Governor DeSantis uh, earlier this year and the uh, rescinding of the special tax status uh, in Florida, I think that put a a crosshairs on his back, at least as far as shareholders are continued. That was on the margin, a reduction in the value of the company. Uh, Mr. Chapek coming in, I think the reason the stock is up is not that he's a one-man show and is going to fix everything, but that he's not going to do things like that. I said Mr. Chapek, I meant Mr. Iger coming in. Excuse I'm going to stop me. you real quick. You um, go ahead. Because when you said the company is executing well. Yes. That's the whole reason why we're having this conversation in the first place. We're not having it because of his spat with DeSantis. Well, I in any way. I sh- think, I, I'm sorry. Do you want to continue? Yeah, I do. Um, because all of the evidence would suggest that it's because they haven't been executing well. The yeah. most recent earnings report said as much with the amount of losses that that they're having. Mm -hmm. Other companies like Netflix have pivoted to what is a changing environment and landscape for direct-to-consumer, whereas it was portrayed to me from the people that I've spoken to today that Chapek never got the memo, that he played the wrong game too long and he never course-corrected, thus being the execution in and of itself was poor, not well. Okay, so I disagree where we will agree. What are you disagreeing on? I just gave you facts. This is what we do all the time. Let me finish. I argue facts. You uh, push back with fiction. What do you mean? Wait, slow down, Joe. It's (laughs) It's not fiction. Just hang on. Okay. All right. Who's had much more subscriber growth over the last three quarters, Disney or Netflix? Who's got theme parks, Disney or Netflix? You know, 
whoever is in charge the, can't control the that Chapek a hurricane came up with the theme park. Okay. Whoever's in control can't change the fact that a hurricane came through and destroyed some of the revenue that otherwise would have been produced in Disneyland uh, over the course uh, of, of the last quarter. The theme parks are raising prices. Demand is there. Studios are back. The one thing that's disappointing, the one fact that you and I will agree on, is the share price is down. Now, I am submitting to you, and I don't think this is fiction. I think that's too strong, but you and I do this all the time. I think the company is executing well. I think the company is fine. It's the share price that's broken. Over time, share prices follow what good companies do. This company is growing its streaming business. This company is growing the revenue from its theme park. It's growing its studio business. So, I, you know, I disagree with you, Scott. And, and you know what? These are opinions that we're disagreeing on. Okay. According to you, Joe, you sold the stock like two weeks ago, right? Um, if, if execution was so great, we wouldn't be having this conversation today. And look, in fairness to Mr. Chapek, um, because Iger himself is such an iconic CEO, um, Chapek wasn't exactly left the greatest hand to play at the table, okay? Iger left at the beginning of the pandemic, okay? So he had to play the whole thing um, through, through that period of time. He inherited an extraordinarily leverage balance sheet, right? The super expensive Fox deal saddled them with debt um, that obviously was hard to deal with. He got, got rid of the dividend. Mm -hmm. Why? Because you couldn't afford to pay it because of the balance sheet being so leveraged from the overexpensive Fox deal. So I get all of that. It's not like the guy was set up for supreme success. However, you sold the stock two weeks ago, which was a statement in and of itself about where you thought the execution well, was in the here and now. I had had enough. And this is a company that has significant operational challenges. Cord cutting is mm -hmm. a secular challenge. Now you introduce the cyclical challenges re regarding ad spending contracting, regarding a consumer that's very challenged. And these are monumental issues that Bob Iger is going to step into the company and have to address. Now, we're, let's keep something in mind. We're not going to know exactly what his, we could speculate what his strategic approach ultimately will be, but you're not going to know that for sure until you hear from him somewhere around the earnings. So multiple reasons why I won't buy the stock back. Number one, it's a tax loss. I'm going to take that tax loss. Number two, I want that earnings call. I want to hear what the vision is for the company. Um, and I'm not going to sit here and go back and forth with Jimmy and debate whether the company operationally has challenges or not. To me, it's clear any company that takes away the dividend is making a statement that they've got operational challenges. When you lose as much money, Josh, as they revealed that they did on the most recent earnings report relative to where expectations were, and you blindsided words that were used to me today, investors with the degree of loss relative to expectations, you have to question the execution of not only the, the CEO, but others on the management team who, who let Wall Street get so blindsided by that most recent earnings report. And that's part of the reason why we find ourselves where we are today. Uh, I don't, so, all right, so a couple of things. Jimmy's problem is not picking good companies and picking stocks. I think he's very good at it. His problem is he doesn't know what time it is. This is not a time that you want to be uh, levered to a weakening consumer 
and a weakening economy, it's just going to be, it doesn't matter who the CEO is. You can make Pluto the CEO. You don't want to own Disney going into a recession. We have all of the early warning signals of a recession present currently, including on Friday, the conference board's leading economic indicator uh, for October. That's the eighth consecutive down month um, in, in that indicator. And we've tripped the recession warning officially. So uh, between that, between the yield curve, uh, between what we know about credit card uh, spending, now up 15% in the third quarter over the prior year. That's the biggest one-year uh, one jump in, in, in the history of data that we have for that. Uh, you, you look at the, the confluence of all these things, and you just say to yourself, like, is Disney going to be able to restructure and fix the business in this environment very easily? Probably not. So if you're, like, looking at Disney for a 10-year hold, forget everything I'm saying now. If you're not, I don't see how this outperforms the S&P. I actually don't see how this outperforms uh, a, a T-bill yielding four and a quarter percent. I'll take the T-bill, right? So that's, that, that's just where I am with this. And the fact that it's only up 6% on this news tells you everything you need to know. Even if Iger can come in and instill confidence or what, whatever they think JPEG did wrong, it's not a one quarter situation. So I just think it's tough timing here. I love the company. I just don't know, like, what is the reason that I have to be in this right now? Jim, I'll, I'll, I'll give it back to you. I'll give it back to you for, for your retort, if, if you have something to, to that. Yeah, there's, there's, there's something important in what Josh just said. Um, not the quip. It was funny about Jimmy doesn't know how to tell the time. It was about the word leverage was, was what you used, Josh. And what's going on with Disney, and it's gone on with Netflix and Paramount and the whole space right now, is that these companies are investing right now in the future of the business. And we know that next year is going to be a peak amount of losses in the streaming business for Disney, for Paramount. This is not an environment, I agree with you, uh, excuse me, Josh, that this is not an environment in which investments for the future are rewarded uh, in the share price. However, where you and I differ, and we've differed on this the whole year, is whether the recession is coming. I will simply point out that GDP is accelerating right now. And what I will also point out is that as inflation continues to come down, we can disagree on this, but as inflation continues to come down and the Fed gets nearer the point at which it stops, the punishment that companies are given for investing in the future is also going to stop as interest rates stop going up. That is the supposition here. And I think that moment is a lot closer than anybody is giving credit for. And there's going to come a point in time. It's not 10 years. It's not 10 years. Okay. It's going to come a point in time in the near future where people look at 2024 and say, wait a second, these investments are paying off right now. Okay. They're going to anticipate that in the next few months. Kerry, um, you don't own the stock. What, what would get you interested? Is, is Iger returning to the scene enough to do it? I don't really think so. Um, I followed Disney for many years back when Josh was in about fourth grade. And I will tell you that the people who built Disney into what it's become, which are Michael Eisner and Bob Iger, did a lot of growth through spending and acquisition. So Disney hadn't even started producing The Lion King and Aladdin when I began to follow it. They were building theme parks. They had built Florida, and they were starting to build around the world. And they've spent hundreds of billions on 
making the company what it is today, which is, you know, highly integrated. Um, Eisner bought Cap City ABC. It gave them ESPN, and that carried the company for years. But now we're in a different world. The fact that Iger bought Pixar and bought Marvel and has turned it into the behemoth of the franchise movie business with all of the action figures and all of the ancillaries related to it, that's not what the market wants right now. And Jim might say we, we can be closer to valuing growth stocks on their growth ability, but this is a company that's in a lot of areas right now. In the entire media world is included in Disney. So Igor has never cut costs. He has never really streamlined the company. That's a different role for him. I'm not saying he can't do it, but that's well, going to, to be it. complicated. He's going to have to do it. Who's that's going to judge? Judge. Well, he's yeah. going to have to. But you point. can't bet on that. I, I'm. You asked me if we would bet on it right now, and yeah. I think that right now, no, we wouldn't. Still at 22 times earnings, Judge, and those earnings are going to come can down. We, can, can, if, 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 we could, if we could if we could just look at a 10-year chart of Disney share price, just plain vanilla, it's so obvious, it's so obvious that this support level, which is the low 90s, which held in 2016, in 2017, in, in the sell-off of 2018, both of those sell-offs actually, it actually held the pandemic lows of, of, uh, of March 2020. That's the level that we're laying on right now. Like this stock, this stock has that level of support and beneath that, we don't know what happens. That violates um, an uptrend that's been in place for almost 10 full years. So like, I hope it does hold. I don't wanna see anyone lose money, but I'm gonna tell you the drivers of growth for this name Partly their own fault and partly just the fault of the overall macro environment. You got a recession in Europe. I don't care what you think. It's too bad it's happening. Okay? You have whatever the issues are with, with Shanghai and with China. Too numerous to mention. We won't get into those now. And then you look, let's look at Marvel. That drove this company's results in part for many years, including the streaming signups. It's, it's DOA. Phase four Marvel was a critical disaster and a box office flop. Didn't we just Look, get no, everyone's afraid to quit Black Panther? Didn't we just dude, get 300 million dude, on it's Black melting Panther? away. What, we it's just melting got away. Each successive million. show that they add, it's, it's, each successive uh, show that they add is, is leading to less and less subscriber I, I, I growth. Don't, you know, Phase I'm, four I'm did not of, work. I'm accused of being fictional, okay? But let's face the facts. You got yeah. 300 million in opening box office on Black Panther. Or maybe that was two weeks. Opening. I'm sorry. And then it disappeared. And then it disappeared. Whoa. Whoa. That the shelf okay. life of that film is a huge problem for Disney. Okay. Huge. The whole problem here is that the, the, the industry, the narrative is changing from a subscribers at all costs mm -hmm. environment where it's just not going to be that anymore. Hastings alluded to that with Netflix. Don't focus mm -hmm. on our total subscribers anymore. Focus on our profitability. Chapek redirected all of Disney's focus and cash towards growing subscribers, profitability be damned. Got burned by it this last quarter when the losses were so much higher than Wall Street uh, had, had anticipated. They tried to compete with Netflix in a too short period of time. That's what I'm told was the most misguided thing. And he wasn't able or willing to pivot away from that. That's execution.
No, it's that's not. execution. That's strategy. What you just said is strategy that you actually invest for the future that pays off in 2024. Jim, okay. The environment. Active. You said that the stock is not being rewarded for the investment. Yeah, that's what you said. That's right. Because the degree of investment is now being viewed as a detriment, not as a benefit. No. Too long. That's term. factual. That's an opinion. Jesus. It's, it's factual. It's an opinion. It's, I mean, is it that hard for you to understand the difference between a fact and an opinion? I'm looking I'm at the what's happened in the opinion. what's happened to the the business. Is that's a fact. Business. Is, that's a fact. Grown. Is the it, business has grown. And yes, if you're just well, have they added subscribers from the, from nothing? Yes. You're right. It's grown. I mean, what do they have? 125 million subscribers in two and a half, three years. My point years? is that the total number of subscribers isn't the thing to look at anymore. It's how much you're spending to get them and, and how profitable you are and or profit- not. And profitability is approaching, Scott. This is a question of everybody's investment time horizon. If your investment time horizon and you're looking for the profits uh, from, from Disney Plus in the next three months, forget it. Nobody's telling you that's going to happen. Everybody from the start has been saying it's 2024. That's what you should be looking for. And as a shareholder, as somebody who looks out there and says, where is a dollar's worth of value trading for 50 cents? I can tell you right now that the value of 2024 to me, Scott, this is an opinion, okay, is about 2x of where we are now. I'll take that. Are you of the right opinion now. that? You know, Loeb is in there for the second time. Now we learn that Nelson Peltz is in there, too. Before the management change. Yeah. Well, what do you think? He's got my thesis, too. You don't think you think he thinks execution is so fabulous? Well, why else would he invest in it, Scott? To try and affect change to the execution. What do you mean? Do we know if they support the change in management? I don't know. I don't know. I don't don't talk to Nelson Peltz. Well, if he doesn't, that's a problem. You think he's just in there for just to hang around and go to Disney World? Scott, what my point is, if this was a permanently broken company, he wouldn't invest in it. It's not a permanently broken company. That's for the fact of what he does for a living. Okay. I mean, don't. I I think. Why would he invest in a permanently broken company? I think now we're just throwing rocks at each other. I really do. You tell me from time to time that you think you're speaking to a brick wall. I will tell you I feel the same way to you. Wow. Okay. So, Josh, you cast your bet. Um, you bought Netflix, right? Not that long ago. That's that's the one you own. Yeah, I bought it. I bought it in a crash. I'd probably buy Disney in a crash. Like I, I don't. I don't think it's. I don't think the story is is so difficult that it can't be. It's not meta. I'm just talking about the timing. This looks like we're on the verge of a technical breakdown, and all of the macro trends are turning against companies that rely on a strong consumer globally. That's Disney in a nutshell. It's not that complicated. So I like it. I hope I get it lower. I would buy this in a crash situation also. The way that, don't forget, um, this is a a company uh, that has always been susceptible to how the consumer is doing or feeling. And the stat I trotted out a few minutes ago, to me, is really important for everyone invested in consumer stocks, Netflix included, to keep in the back of their head. We have this huge surplus in, in cash available to households, but they have spent down about a third of that. And now we're starting to see a jump in credit card spending. That's not by choice. That's not because people feel great. That's out of necessity. That's because prices have gone up and they're trying to keep up with their lifestyle from last year and the year before. Yeah. I think we're not in a great setup for stocks like this. I want to make it very clear. No issue with Bob Iger. No issue with Dumbo. 
or, or Mickey. It's not about that. This is really just about the when. Why? In fact, in fact, I'll, I'll make a bet, a gentleman's bet with my friend Jim right now. Six months, I would rather be in the SHY, which is a one to three year T-bill, uh, uh, treasury bond ETF. I will collect my four and a half percent yield, which is the current 30 day SEC yield. Put this up against Disney, including Disney's dividend, um, if and when they're going to pay one. I think this is the ultimate no-brainer. I don't even need another stock that I think is better. I would just tell you no risk is better than this risk. Well, for, for, I, I accept your bet, and if you want to make it a lunch, I'm more than happy. All right. I think, does he still <laughs> We're own? We're doing lunch, Jimmy. Who owns who a burger still? I can't even remember. I think is Jenny it? owes... Jenny owes me. Josh Burger. That was the Intel Nvidia. It's like three years old already. It's ridiculous. Um, look, let's let's hit the let's hit the market overall because I did reference you know this so-called rally even though stocks are down. Yes, but we've rallied a lot off the lows, right? Of mid-October, I referenced this last week. Mike Wilson was suggesting that we could get to forty-one fifty or beyond that. He still thinks that. He thinks higher highs for this tactical rally uh, exist before the deteriorating fundamentals take us to a lower bear market lows next year. It goes, Carrie, to the point of can we put something together over the final six weeks of the year before we maybe face a bit of a reality check on where we are? Yeah, I, I think it's possible. We saw two weeks ago what happens when there's a piece of good news that investors like. You know, the S&P went up five and a half percent. Nasdaq went up about eight percent and inflation was up seven point seven percent year over year. So imagine if that number was six point seven percent. What would have happened up 12 percent? I don't know. It seems as if there's an awful lot of buying appetite out there, but it's not coming into play until we have actual numbers that confirm that there's something positive. So if you get another print of inflation that the market is enthused about, if we start to see, I really believe, some more layoffs. I mean, layoffs are a positive for the Fed, meaning that there's less people spending more money and pushing prices higher. So the tech industry is beginning to rationalize. We've seen that from Meta, Amazon, Google. I mean, there are a lot of companies talking about cost cutting. And then you saw on the uh, spending side for consumers, while the overall number was good, Target told us that their customers aren't buying. That's $105 billion a year of spending. It's not nothing. So if, if their, their customers are spending less, that's right. deflationary. And we heard it from Macy's and Cole. So, Jim, yes, it's possible. All right. Jim, Siegel was on Squawk this morning, said we could easily, his words, easily see a 15 or potentially 20 percent increase in equity prices next year. 90% of our inflation is gone. Are you on Team Siegel? <laughs> Sorry, you know I am. Uh, yes, I am. I am. I mean, look, and just let me be a little bit more specific instead of chuckling. I'm still in our sort of Thanksgiving dinner mode that we were just in. That was a lot of fun, by the way. But, no, look at gasoline futures. That's how your Thanksgiving dinners are. Don't invite me to your house. <laughs> okay. Scott. Go ahead. Come on, I'm trying to stay Go in ahead. character here. Try. Gasoline Please, futures. I know it's hard. Gasoline futures are back down to uh, before the, the pre-Ukraine invasion, okay? A lot of commodity prices are down. Uh, freight costs are down. Inventory to sales are up. You see what's going on at Target and Walmart. Uh, Zillow rents are down. I mean, I could go on and on. And the point being is that inflation has come down. CPI, the way it's constructed, is just structurally lagging. It looks like it's going to follow. And with it, the peak Fed funds rate are, is likely to be lower than the 5% that's currently priced in. Now, that was an opinion, Scott. That was not a fact. That was a projection of the future. That's what I believe. I don't know it as a fact. It's what I believe. I could be wrong, Scott. You'll have a lot of fun when I am. 
But that's what I believe, and it is Team Siegel. All right. So enraged. Glad you're not. <laughs> no, uh, I'm not enraged. Glad you're not defensive. You guys have definitely tweaked <laughs> me today. Let's get to Brian Sullivan. He has a news alert, and uh, believe it's related to what we might be seeing in oil. Brian, it is Scott. Yeah, and uh, by the Saudis coming out and categorically denying the Wall Street Journal story about OPEC Plus considering a possible 500,000 barrel per day increase at their December 4th meeting. That story came out this morning, of course. The price of oil collapsed on that, down, what, 6% to 75.60, I think, was the low of the day. It's already started to trickle higher, but the Saudis coming out, and I'll read you the number, uh, official Saudi tape, which they don't put out things on their sort of official Saudi press very much. The Saudi energy minister, Prince Abdulaziz bin Salman, categorically denies recent reports that Saudi Arabia is discussing with other OPEC producers an OPEC an output increase of 500,000 barrels per day. The current cut of 2 million barrels per day by OPEC Plus continues until the end of 2023. And if there is need to take further measures by reducing production to balance supply and demand, we always remain ready to intervene. So not only are they denying the production increase story, but they sort of hint that they might cut Again, Scott, so denying the production increase story and now saying that they may stand ready to actually further cut production. We're going to get much more reporting on this, uh, but it is moving oil. Price of crude oil, you can see, is not positive, but it's come well off its lows. I would uh, suggest maybe the oil stocks could be on the halftime Thanksgiving dinner menu as well. Uh, As a matter of fact, we're going to do that right after this break. Brian Sullivan, thank you very much. All All right, we'll be right back. Two minutes to trade energy. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, we're back. Uh, you see what's happening in oil, uh, and you got those Brian Sullivan headlines just before we went to a break. Um, so, Joe, yeah. we're already coming off the worst week since April. Mm-hmm. Now what? Now what? Well, well, first of all, let's not forget oil is down because of COVID. Oil is down on the concerns related to what we're you seeing. You mean China? We're, absolutely, what we're seeing in China. Without, without question, that's the reason that we're down significantly today. I don't think anyone expected that OPEC ultimately is going to raise production. I mean, they just announced that they're cutting production. Uh, Maintaining energy exposure, I still believe, is the right way. Overweight is what you want to have, and you don't have to have the significant beta exposure. But weren't we below 80 the other day before the China, the most recent China news hit? You were, and then you bounced, and then you were down significantly this morning on the China COVID news. That was, without question, the catalyst for the reason to be down. I think it was a false expectation to believe that an increase from OPEC of 500,000 barrels per day is actually going to be enacted. I think that's that's just 
the complete opposite of what ultimately is going to happen. So what does it mean then for the, for the energy you maintain, stocks? You maintain your energy exposure. You stay at overweight. You don't have to assume the high beta exposure. You're okay owning Chevron, ConocoPhillips, ExxonMobil, EOG. Those names, those are lower beta energy plays. Phillips 66, Valero, these are all the companies that I believe rightfully belong in a diversified energy basket. Jimmy, uh, Kinder, I mean, Exxon, yes, you yep. agree because yep. you own it. Kinder, Transocean. Yep, and that's just on the spectrum of beta to oil. So I'm with Joe on this. You can just own ExxonMobil, Chevron, Conoco, or the XLE, all right? Um, that's just the straight way to play it. You want to be a little safer, you can play a pipeline company like Kinder Morgan. You really want to go out there on the risk curve, you can pick up Transocean. That's really risky. But here's the bigger point. I think this is a head fake to the downside on oil because what you've got coming up is the termination, I think it's already terminated, of strategic petroleum reserve releases. And more importantly, you've got sanctions about to bite on Russia. Now, maybe these sanctions won't hold, you know, the price cap. There's a lot of questions. Steve Mnuchin was out a couple of days ago saying it's the stupidest idea he's ever heard. I have some questions about it as well. But Europe has also said they're not going to buy any more Russian oil, period. So these sanctions are likely to bite on the margins in terms of supply. Uh, again, the supply demand imbalance is being papered over right now by what Joe pointed out about China COVID and what I'm pa pointing out about SPR release. You said head fake to the downside, the implication being you be think they're going to go way up. Yep. You said Exxon or Chevron, um, or you said both. You yeah. said you could own both. Why has Exxon uh, outperformed Chevron? No, I mean, they both had a great year. Yeah. Obviously, you'll take you'll take 51 percent or 77 percent. But uh, 77 is Exxon. Why is the outperformance? There, there's that always there's always little differences, particularly in the geography of where they explore and where they produce. And from time to time, there can be a shortfall in one geographical area for one company versus the other. Over time, these two companies should track themselves, track each other very well. And I would also point out to my earlier point, the XLE is 45 percent. These two companies. So it's really like these these two are the bellwether for the industry. Josh, you own the IEO. Uh, that's the oil and gas uh, E&P ETF. Chenier, Nextera, Southwest Gas. So you have, you've increased your exposure yeah, I, as the year's gone on. Yeah, I think what we're seeing is a, a viable dip. Uh, I could be wrong, but 78% of the XLE names are still above their 200-day moving average. So eight out of 10 names are, are still in a bull market. Even with today's yeah. pullback, the median return in the XLE names that make up that, that index are up 66% year to date. So I think if we are just going by like weight of the evidence, this is a pullback in what is still a, an ongoing bull market. Take a look at valuation. The median company in the XLE is trading at a 9.5 PE, a 1.9 price to sales, and a 13 price to free cash flow. They have median earnings per share growth this year expected 141%. So here you have the industry with the best fundamentals, probably the most under-owned sector that there is in the whole market, uh, given how horrible energy had been for seven years, shrinking as a percent of the index. And earnings growth is still explosive. We still have all of the same geopolitical headaches that we've had all year. Yeah. That's not going away just because we turned the calendar over. So I'm an IEO. I'm in, uh, I'm in Chenier LNG, Southwest Gas SWX. I'm in uh, Next Era Energy. I think like this is where money is going to continue to be made. I'm sorry if I threw some 
cranberry sauce at you. We're fine. Right? We're Mashed fine. potatoes are one thing. You can wash them off. <laughs> it was cranberry sauce. What are you guys stays. glaring at each other? No, no, no. I can't no. see. All of us threw rocks for a little while there, and nobody got badly hurt. Rocks? So we're moving on. Yeah. All right. Good stuff. All right. Still ahead, a buyer's guide for dividend ETFs, plus our call of the day on a big healthcare stock. And don't miss Santoli's midday word. That's coming up next. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome to the ETF Edge portion of the Halftime Report. I'm Seema Modi. The market is grappling with a constant push-pull of catalysts in favor of both the bulls and bears lately. Despite data pointing to cooling inflation, the Federal Reserve seems determined to stay the course and carry out its rate-hiking agenda. But both with bond yields rising, then falling at a rapid clip, investors may have to look elsewhere for reliable income. One possible solution is looking at large-cap companies that not only pay dividends, but grow them consistently. Joining us now is Todd Rosenbluth, head of research at Vetify, along with Brian Geary, senior vice president at Amplify EDFs. He runs the firm's enhanced dividend income ETF, that is ticker DIVO, which has attracted some of the largest inflows we've seen all year, ranking in the top 5% of all ETFs in terms of inflows in 2022. So, Brian, I'll start with you. Dividend growth ETFs, they've had big inflows this year, but not all are created equal. What sets DIVO apart from the rest? Yeah, Devo, thanks, Seema. Uh, it's a core equity income uh, ETF. So it holds a core portfolio of stocks, large cap, blue chip, dividend paying stocks with a history of dividend and earnings increases. But along with that, there's a tactical covered call approach on the portfolio that actually looks at uh, writing covered calls uh, to provide more income, mitigate some volatility on individual stocks. So it's actively managed, uh, managed by our sub-advisor partner, Capital Wealth Planning, CWP. And we think it provides a nice stability, again, a core equity income solution, uh, paying a right around the 5%, just shy of 5% uh, current distribution. So good current income, but also good total return potential as well. Got it. Todd, dividend growers tend to be a good bet in a rising rate environment. What names stand out to you? Yeah, we at Vetify, we're hearing from advisors that are looking for an alternative to fixed income to get that stability you talked about, the income generation. So we've seen strong demand for the Schwab U.S. Dividend Equity ETF, SCHD, has been very popular on our Vetify platform and flows in general. We've seen strong interest in the J.P. Morgan uh, Equity Premium Income, JEPI, which, like that Devo ETF, owns individual stocks and then uses covered calls to be able to enhance that income. There's a wide range of ETFs. You just have to do a little homework to understand what's inside them. All right. Well, we will have much more on dividend growth ETF opportunities with Todd and Brian. Plus, with Black Friday right around the corner, what will it mean for online retail ETFs as consumers grapple with grapple with still rampant inflation? That's all ahead, 1 p.m. on ETFedge.cnbc.com. Halftime Report returns after this. All right, United Health. That's our call of the day. Why? Because it was downgraded today. Now it's still outperform. 
it was strong buy at uh, Raymond James. Price star. I know. I know. It's target 615. Um, you own it, Joe. I, I mean, look, it got downgraded, but. Okay. What's so the difference? What's it. the difference, do you think, between outperform <laughs> between outperform and strong buy? I, 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 candidly, no I just difference. want to hear Josh's response because I know it's going to be something unique. Let him work to it, but yeah, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll let give him a figure chance. It out. But, but I don't understand. First of all, healthcare, right sector to be in year to date, without question. Okay, why the downgrade? Well, we're concerned about virus headwinds. Threats. Well, we're, we're concerned about... I know, I'm telling you what they say, growing headwinds. Okay, all right. So we've got a cyclical challenge where COVID, uh, the flu, is going to potentially challenge United Healthcare's potential earnings in the coming quarter. All right, that's a great opportunity to get into a stock that has literally gotten away from investors. It still trades at a reasonable valuation at 25 times. It's in the right sector. It's almost very similar, and, and I'm going to say this, okay, with no degree of arrogance. Okay. But so many people criticized me throughout the year for mentioning Merck. I kept talking about Merck all year. Oh, he's talking about a boring stock. It's a boring stock. Merck is now 105. It was in the 70s, okay? And this is the environment where you want to own those types of stocks. And United Healthcare, without question, is one of those stocks. So if there is a little bit of a cyclical challenge from this virus threat, guess what? That's to your advantage. Utilize it to take a position. Okay. Now, was that an opinion or a fact that you want to earn, own Merck? I mean, it's his opinion, it was an opinion, but based on the performance. Well, the, the performance was a it's factual a fact. statement. Carrie, <laughs> you own United Health. Yeah. So we we have owned United Health for quite a while. And all you have to say about this stock is it's up for the year. So we are so happy that we've owned it. It is, however, trading at the highest relative and absolute multiple it's traded at in 10 years. But the market likes that in safe performing companies. If you look at Coke, Pepsi, McCormick, look in, you know, across the staples, not just drug companies, but there are many selling for 20 plus multiples because they're dependable. So what we did was we took some of the United Health and we trimmed it. And we still own a large size position, but I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't want to exist without some names like this when mm -hmm. we have these risk off weeks like last week, because they're the ones that, you know, have continued to perform. If you're on if you're on a portfolio that's full of risk, you're going to really struggle when we have these risk off uh, weeks. Josh. So, yes, I, I, I like it. I just like it less. OK, Josh, quickly before we go. On healthcare in general. I mean, Joey teed you up. Yeah, we gave on, you like three minutes to think four. about it. What's the That's difference? all you no, got. I don't have a criticism. Of, I don't have a criticism of that. I don't believe in price targets, and I don't believe in underperform, outperform, underweight, over. All that stuff means nothing to me. I look at the charts. Charts don't lie. Okay, that's not the response I was no, looking. No, he dropped that one. No, I think he was. I didn't think he thought <laughs> Sorry. about it very much. Yeah. All right, Mike Santoli. He's next with his midday word. All right, senior markets commentator Mike Santoli from the New York Stock Exchange. Now for his midday word. Still trying to figure it out. You know, if we've got a six-week a six path to something higher or not. 
Yeah, I mean, this actually is now looking, uh, Scott, like a pretty prolonged pause uh, in the market. The last eight trading days, including today, uh, the S&P has closed from between where it is right now, basically, uh, 3940s and 4000, never closing above 4000. So you can look at that and say, we're consolidating a 15 percent rally. We got uh, off the CPI number in October and then, of course, accelerated by the one on November 10th. But uh, difficult to say whether that's the whole story, just creating a new base. I don't think we're really questioning whether it's, you know, seasonals are, are strong. The question is, what else does the market have going for it? Uh, I do think that the deeply inverted Treasury yield curve, right or wrong, it's in people's heads. Everyone kind of looks in that direction and says, what is this telling me about the macro next year, even though consumer and corporate balance sheets are in good shape and the economy right now doesn't seem to be really uh, failing in any rapid sense. So uh, I, I think you say it's a constructive pause until proven otherwise, but it's it is really indecisive. Yeah. People are getting impatient, too. Right. If we're going to get something going here towards the end of the year. Uh, let's get it going already, right? Yeah, I mean, look, n- no fourth quarter rally is a straight line yeah. anyway. In fact, this one is tracking pretty well. Uh, prior years when you had an October bear market bottom and then it flattens out for a while, but obviously got to wait and see. All right, good stuff. We'll see you in a little bit for your la- uh, final yeah. word later on. All right, up next, uh, fallout from FTX's collapse. We'll head live to the Bahamas where our, our Kate Rooney spoke with Sam Bankman-Fried halftime back right after this. All right, welcome back to Halftime Report. A court filing showing FTX owes its 50 biggest creditors more than $3 billion. CNBC's Kate Rooney spoke with Sam Bankman-Fried over the weekend, joins us now live from the Bahamas. Kate? Hey there, Scott. That's right. I spoke briefly to Sam Bankman-Fried here in Nassau on Friday. And despite being ousted from FTX and the company's bankruptcy, he says he's spending most of his time still trying to broker a bailout. He declined to talk about some of the financial details around the fall of FTX, what we all really want to know. And he said no to an on-camera interview or a longer talk about it. On the record, he is hunkered down here in the upscale Bahamas neighborhood about 30 minutes from here. He did tell me there are billions of dollars of potential funding still out there to make customers whole. He went on to talk about getting as much value to users. He says he hates what happens, and he says he wishes he had been more careful. He also maintains that there are still billions of dollars in customer assets that are still available despite not having access to his corporate email or really any of the FTX systems right now. And to be clear, guys, this is still very much a long shot. And legal experts tell me that Sam Bankman-Fried would really be no different at this point than any other third party bidder. But legal experts are also telling me that him being a part of the solution here may help in a criminal or civil court. No response from him on that. But FTX's new CEO, John Ray, over the weekend saying that he is also exploring sale options for FTX. You can already see some of the stark differences here on this island as the company unwinds the lit up FTX sign that was here back in August. That is gone right now. We stopped by FTX headquarters. The parking lot was pretty much empty. Security guards shoot us away pretty quickly. We also saw a car leave those offices with four young people. We couldn't confirm if they were FTX employees, but They rolled up the window, wouldn't make any eye contact and drove away pretty quickly. Also went by what appears to be the plot of land that FTX had committed about $60 million to build out. An FTX executive once compared that to Apple and Google's campuses in Silicon Valley. That sits vacant right now and no construction has started. The story is still heating up in bankruptcy courts with FTX customer funds caught between Delaware and the Bahamas right now. It's all over the local papers, Scott, as well. You can see here here the Nassau Guardian 
But front page news here in NASA, and it comes as we're hearing a report just in the last 10 minutes or so, the lawmakers are calling on bank regulators to review SoFi's crypto moves. Hmm. Back Interesting. to you. All right. Kate, thank you. That's Kate Rooney, live from Nassau, Bahamas for us. We'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll do final trades next. All right. Overtime, 4 o'clock Eastern time. We do have some earnings that you don't want to miss. Zoom is in overtime, as is Dell. We're going to kick around all things markets with Cameron Dawson of New Edge. Eric Jackson, too, on what's going on in tech, where that trade is, where it might head in the early part of the new year as well. So I'll see all of you, I hope, in a few hours' time. Before we get to final trades, we do want to highlight Kerry Firestone's new op-ed on CNBC.com. It's titled, Why This Comeback Rally Feels Different. You can go to CNBC.com pro. Please do that and give it a read. And on that note, Kerry, I'll give you the first final trade. Um, I'll give you health equity, HQY. It's a stock that provides leadership in the health savings plan world. And the stock has come down because fear that interest rates were sliding. Interest rates are higher than they were for sure. And this company benefits from having a lot of deposits of employees who have opened health savings plan, which is really a growing market and will continue. Okay, thank you. Josh Brown, what do you got? Uh, Southwest Gas, I mentioned earlier. This is a name that's got an activist, Carl Icahn, very heavily involved in the company. It's actually three companies in one. And on a sum of a parts basis, I think in the 60s, it's way too cheap. Okay. Joey? Albemarle had a nice 13% pullback here right into the moving averages. Trades at 21 times. Fantastic revenue growth. 91% over the last four quarters. Farmer Jim. I was thinking about my friend, <laughs> my, my friend too, Judge. <laughs> um, I was thinking about something that uh, that Joe said earlier about Merck, sort of unsung hero. Bristol Myers, another unsung hero. Uh, the space pharmaceuticals can perform in down markets as well as up markets. This is a good one to own. Okay, uh, so there you go, and all are up at the moment too on the day. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to CNBC's halftime report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.